That was actually a, a really cute video. Unfortunately, it must not have rendered all the way through or something. That's okay. Technical difficulties. Welcome to a church plant. How are y'all? <laughs> good. It is good to be here with you all this morning. Uh, my name is Tori. I'm one of the pastors here at the well. Um, happy Super Bowl Sunday. All right. Go Panthers. That's all I'm going to say about that. All right. Um, welcome to our new series uh, on the art of neighboring. Uh, we're going to be looking at what does it look like to be a good neighbor. So I want to give you a really, really brief kind of glimpse into what we're doing for these three weeks here, uh, just so you can kind of have a good uh, idea as to the direction that we're going with this and uh, sort of our hopes for it uh, as a church collectively. So throughout the city over the next couple of months, you're going to be uh, hearing ads and you're going to be seeing billboards that are going to be encouraging us to be good neighbors. You may have already seen some of those so far. They're just kind of white billboards with blue lettering and has like a little quick kind of witty thing about neighboring. And so what this is uh, actually coming from is many of the churches in Austin who are kind of collectively coming together. Uh, to be specific, currently there are 323 churches that are all kind of doing this together um, who have kind of rallied together to talk about the importance of neighboring and why it's important that we would be good neighbors collectively from the city as a whole, but specifically from the church of God in the city. So uh, the mayor of Denver a few years ago actually said that all of the city's major economic and social problems would be solved if we could just help people learn to be good neighbors. All right. Now, all is a pretty strong word there, right? But without doubt, many of our issues would uh, come together if we would just learn as a people collectively to love each other well and to really be with each other. And so many of the churches want to encourage everyone, but specifically Christians, to be good neighbors, to, to love those around us well, both our neighbors in our homes, uh, our neighbors at our jobs, our neighbors in our family, whatever that may be, that we would actually be really loving each other well. Okay, so uh, we know, right, that as Christians, we're not just searching for a better lifestyle, right? Like the, the, the neighbors, the, the social, the, the economic problems would be solved if people would just learn to love each other well, if they would serve one another, if they would be there for each other, if they would watch out for each other. Like that is a very true thing. But as Christians, we want to go a step beyond that. Right, Because we don't believe just in a good life here and now, but know that there's actually eternal life to be sought after, that this life is for sure important without doubt, but that there's another life to come, a, a more real life than this life could ever imagine to be. And so we want to go beyond just being a good neighbor, but rather, what does it look like to love people in and for the sake of the gospel and allowing the gospel to transform who we are as individuals and allowing that to spur us on toward loving others well. And so we want to be good neighbors and we want to be good friends, but we also want to see the gospel unfold, knowing that where the gospel unfolds, that is where true neighboring, that is where true love can actually happen. Because without the gospel, we still have have the problem of sin, right? Like, like we still have the problem of selfishness or, or, or bitterness or, or anger or unforgiveness that would immediately kind of fracture all of the good neighboring efforts that we could put forth. But underneath the banner of the gospel, once the gospel comes in, we realize that, hey, look, the problem is sin. And if we can overcome that, we can actually love each other with a love that doesn't just come from our hearts, but comes from the very heart of God. That comes from the love that God can give to every single one of us, all right? And so in our groups and here on Sunday mornings, we're going to be talking about the importance of neighboring, what that looks like, and the value that it adds into our lives and into the world as a whole to be good neighbors, all right? So you with me? 
All right, good deal. You ready? Y'all sound so excited. All right, let's go ahead and dive in. Uh, if you have your smartphones, uh, you can grab them. Uh, you can go to the YouVersion app if you are used to using that. Uh, underneath the YouVersion, uh, the Bible link, underneath the live section, type in the Well Austin. You can follow along that way. Uh, there's notes, places for the scripture, uh, all that stuff. We'll also have a link up here, I believe, soon um, that you can follow along if you don't have the app. And you can kind of type that right in and put it up on your browser. Um, you can also uh, grab a Bible uh, if you don't have one. They're under every second and third chair somewhere around you. If you physically don't own a Bible, we actually want you to take and to keep that Bible. It's our gift to you. We want you to have the word to be able to read it on a continual basis. And so um, please take that and keep that. Um, yeah, we want you to have that. So, okay. As you're turning, we're going to start in Luke chapter 10. All right. And as you're going there, I want you to think about what would happen in our world if we actually took the great commandment literally. All right. What would happen in our world if we actually took the great commandment literally, okay? Like, how would our world be different if we actually began to love our neighbors and sharing truth with them and giving our lives to them and, and sharing the good news of the gospel with them? What would it look like in the world holistically, all right? And so Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to start. Uh, Luke chapter 10, and I'm going to pick it up here in verse 25, all right? It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Many of you know this. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, immediately, real quick, we see something wrong with his question. All right? Do you see it there? All right? What is wrong with his question? What is wrong with it? Yeah, what can I do, right? What can I do to inherit eternal life? Teacher, what is it that I need to be doing to inherit eternal life? The lawyer assumes that by doing certain things, he has the ability to inherit eternal life. And that's just a false assumption on his part, right? Scripture makes clear that it is not true, that there is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to inherit eternal life. Now, if for some way the lawyer was able to be perfect his whole life, then he could do that. But because he's born into sin, there is an inability for him to inherit eternal life. There is nothing that he can do. It is a free gift from God. And so immediately there's actually a, a falseness with, with this question, right? Now I want to start off a sermon on evangelism and a series on, on blessing those around us and ultimately on sharing our faith by saying this, okay? Oftentimes I think when most of us hear about our responsibility to share the gospel, because it is a very clear responsibility in scripture, we're going to go through some of those passages today, but we immediately feel this sense of burden and this sense of guilt, Okay, like, like we feel a burden, like we know we're supposed to be sharing truth, but we're not sharing it as much as we should. We, we feel guilty because we know, matter of fact, the Holy Spirit may have even been prompting us to, to share with our neighbor or coworker or friend, and we didn't do it. We, we closed our mouths, and so what that does is it produces this burden or this guilt. Why? Because we know the importance in our hearts. Like if you've been changed by Jesus, your life was something before, the gospel interacted with your heart, and you know the difference that it made. Like, like if you believe this, you, you want other people to follow in this truth. You, you long for that, but then we have have this fear, right, of being liked by man or, or fear of rejection or whatever it may be. And so then we don't share. And what that does is it produces guilt, right? It's sort of like prayer. Like whenever we talk about prayer, like 97% of Christians are like, ah, I should be doing that more, right? 
which we backed up prayer and evangelism, so sorry about that, because two guilty topics. Actually, I'm not sorry. This is good for us, all right? But, so it's like 97% in prayer. With the gospel, it's like 99.7%, right? Like, like people know, like, man, I, I want to share more. I, I want to talk about Jesus more. I want to open my mouth more, but I don't for whatever reason. And so can I start off a sermon and a series and even kind of a length of time as a church as we focus on evangelism? I want to start off by saying this. I hope what it does is it frees you up some, Okay. You sharing the gospel and you loving those around you does not give you eternal life. Okay? You sharing the gospel, you opening your mouth and proclaiming about Jesus and you loving others around you does not give you eternal life. I think that many of us, all right, like the lawyer, hear sermons on sharing our faith and and we immediately begin to think, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Now, I want you to think about this. If eternal life is knowing Christ, which John 17, uh, verse 3 tells us, it says, and this is eternal life, to know the Father whom sent me and me, right? Like eternal life is to know God and to know Jesus. So if eternal life is to know Christ, then we immediately begin to think, hey, what can I do to inherit eternal life? How can I get more of Jesus? How can I gain more of him? I want to know him more, so I need to share the gospel. We begin to think, what do I need to do? What can I do? How can I say this? And we do, 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 and we begin to make a checklist. How can I share more? How can I love more? How can I give more? And this burden, okay, that we begin to carry, it doesn't drive us to compassion and to love, but rather it drives us to fear and to guilt, the burden that we place upon ourselves, because like the lawyer, we ask, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And we think, oh, here's the checklist God gave me. Maybe if I do this. And while fear and guilt may be good momentary motivators, they're actually very deadly in the end. Like fear and guilt, like I could come up here and preach a guilt sermon, and you'd probably Monday and Tuesday really feel the burden of sharing. And then Wednesday and Thursday, it would die off, and you would not open your mouth again for a year unless we did this every week. Guilt is not a good long-term motivator. Matter of fact, it's deadly in the end because guilt is a poison from Satan that if one drinks of too often, it will kill all of his desire to know and to love the Lord. And I think that we consume and and we kind of guzzle guilt so frequently because it goes down fairly easily. Like it doesn't take a whole lot of work for us to kind of be motivated out of guilt, but it's a starchy substance that in the end does not fill us. Guilt is not a good substance. Guilt is not a good food to continually consume. We need something more than guilt driving our motivation. And so I don't want you to see this text and then hear this sermon on evangelism and then begin to think, well, what do I need to do? What can I do to inherit eternal life? Eternal life is a free gift from God that if by grace through faith you believe in Jesus Christ, it's yours. Because Jesus has given us his life, because he has given us himself, we get him by believing in him. This is a a beautiful thing. And so life isn't found in what you've done, but rather what he's done for you, okay? So you cannot inherit eternal life by sharing, all right? It's by believing in Jesus. Now let's keep reading. Verse 26. He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. 
right? If you can do this, if you can keep the whole law, love the Lord your God, vertical command and horizontal, love your neighbor, right? All of the commands of God and all the commands of man, then you will live. Good job, you answered that correctly. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who supposed, or the one, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. All right. So Jesus' command, right, the, 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 the crux of this story is that we would show mercy, that we would be a merciful people, we would show mercy to those around us, all right? But get this, okay, verse 29, this is, was so convicting to me when I first kind of read this and thought about it in our context, because I think of how convicting it is today. The lawyer, it says in verse 29, if you look at it again, says that he was desiring to justify himself, all right? Just a really, really quick piece of advice, whenever Jesus says, good job, you're right. Just stop right there, <laughs> all right? Because anything else you say after that is not right. You already gave the right answer, all right? And so he tries to justify himself. He's trying to kind of work a way around it because he knows what that actually means. Like he does want eternal life, but he, he wants to work for it himself, but he doesn't want to work that hard because he knows what the law is saying. So he's trying to justify himself, right? And I think that we do the same thing today. When I first heard the call to love our neighbors around us, can I tell you what I honestly thought? This is me, conf confession time. You all fine with that? All right, good. I literally began to think, they're taking the scripture out of context. Because this scripture, like the man, it's talking about the, the distant man, right? Like the man that's hurting and broken and, and kind of way off the Samaritan. Like, like that's what it's talking about. They're eisegeting scripture, is what I began to say. It's a fancy word for taking it out of context, right? Like, like they're just making up their own interpretation and they're trying to use this to get me to love my immediate neighbor. <laughs> How dare they, right? Is what I began to think. And it was my shallow way of trying to justify myself out of reaching those closest to me, like my neighbors, as if my neighbors didn't count. As if they weren't important, <laughs> right? As if only those who were distant or down and out, as if only those who were overseas really counted, or as if only those who were kind of falling upon the hardest times, as if they were the only ones that really counted rather than my neighbors and my close friends right around me. I was trying to justify my responsibility to sharing the gospel and making scripture less than what it actually was. We're called to love and to show mercy as believers because love and mercy has been shown to us by Christ. So out of a response for Christ, we want to love and, and show mercy to others as well, right? And in this context, loving your neighbor wasn't obvious for the Jews. 
Like when the Jews heard this story about the neighbor, it was an obvious for them because there's so many Old Testament laws and there were so many commands about loving those around you and, and taking care of them and, and honoring them and protecting them. And if you read the Old Testament, you'll see the importance of loving those around you. And so for the Jews in this context, loving your immediate neighbor was an obvious for them. Like, it just made sense. The Jews didn't have a hard time loving those right next to them. They had a hard time loving those far away from them. Those who were different than them, the Samaritans, right? Or, or, or those of distant countries that they haven't even heard of before. Like, read the book of Jonah if you don't believe that, right? Like, they had a hard time loving those who were distant. However, I think if Jesus told this parable today, the reverse would be true for us. I think that we do a really good job loving those who are distant, but we do not do a good job loving those who are close, all right? And like the lawyer, I think we try to justify ourselves and we try to find ways out of it. Well, my work is too hard. I don't have enough time. Or, or, or well, I have kids running around. Or, well, I, I don't know how to do that. Or, well, man, they're all different than me. And, or whatever it may be. And we try to justify ourselves out of a direct and obvious command in Scripture. Our neighbor is not just the distant man that's down and hurting, though that is true. And we should be loving them. It is a good thing that we love those who are uh, uh, distant, who are different than us, who are kind of out there. But we also should be loving those who are immediate, who are next door, who are our friends, our coworkers, the guy who works in the cubicle next to you that always listens to weird music and he's weird and you don't really like him. Love that man, right? The neighbor who you don't know and they look kind of strange and they look kind of different. Love that. Love that man. Love that woman. Like we need to be loving those who are close to us. And so I think if we were to take this literally, all right, the great commandment, if we were just to love our neighbor, we would see an impact for the gospel, not just overseas, but also in Austin and in our neighborhoods around us, we would see the gospel really flourish if the believers of God really took this commandment literally and seriously and applied it into their lives. If we begin to think about how can we reach and how can we love those, right? God calls us to be a good neighbor here too and to show love and compassion here too, where we are today. Like that's part of what the fulfillment of the great commandment is, is to love those around us. Go to Acts chapter 17 with me. Acts chapter 17, and we're gonna pick it up in verse 26. So it's Paul speaking. And he says this, and he, the Lord, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us, okay? This is a very, very powerful text here. The scripture tells us that God has placed us where we would live. So the fact that you were born into a certain family or into a certain race or into a certain culture, the fact that you were born into a certain city, the fact that you are living in 2015 or 2016 now, right? The fact that you are living in today's world versus like 500 AD or 3000 BC or whatever it may be is that you may know God and find your way toward him that you may experience a relationship with God. This is a powerful thing that God has so orchestrated eternity so as to put you in a place where you have the best chance at finding out who he is. That is a wonderful, beautiful thing. And if that doesn't make you feel the love and the grace of God, I don't know what else does. 
because God is orchestrating so many things so that you may find your way toward him. Now, he's not going to robot you. He's not going to force you into submission, but he's done everything he can to show you this. So you may think, well, well, how come I was born in this? And how come I was born in a poor family? Maybe because God knew if you were born in a rich family, you would never think about him. But at least now, even if you're mad at him, at least you're thinking about him a little bit. Right? I'm being serious. Right? Like, like, like the, the, the ignoring of God is way worse than cussing God out. At least here you're thinking about him. At least here you're trying to wrestle with who he is. And so maybe God in his providence knew if you were born to that rich family or if you were born with all the comforts, then you would never think about him. So he lets you be born into a place that would allow suffering because he knows that momentary suffering for the 60, 70, 80 years that we live on this earth is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed one day when we see Christ Jesus and we live forever for eternity. God cares so much more about your eternity than about your 80 years here. And in his grace, he does that. So he has orchestrated your life. So listen, if you're trying to wrestle with Christianity or you don't really know where you stand, you're trying to figure this Christian thing out, this is what I want you to take away from this today, okay? Because we're talking about sharing the gospel, right? With you even, okay? And that could feel weird sometimes, but I don't want it to. I want you to realize, look, maybe the reason that your neighbor or coworker or friend invited you here today, maybe it's because God loves you. He wants to show himself to you. He wants you to find him, maybe through relationship, maybe through, I don't know what it is, right? But God has orchestrated your life in such a way so as you would have the best chance of finding out who he is. And that is a beautiful, beautiful truth. But if this is true about all of us, right? And, and we know that, hey, if we have believed in Jesus, we can usually see our past and realize how God was ordaining that to point us toward him. If this is true about us, wouldn't that also mean that God could have put you in a specific place that you may be a light to others feeling their way toward him. Like maybe you are God's ambassador as we read in 2 Corinthians 5 where you are actually the ones that are helping where you are the ones that are, are being the light for people that they may feel their way toward God and find him, you may actually be the person that allows someone else to see the glory of God. And so maybe the reason that you live where you live or you work where you work or you go to the gym every week, the same time you go to the gym and see the same guy every week and you keep feeling the spirit to prompt you, maybe you're the one that helps that person feel their way toward God. Maybe the reason you're still working at the job that you hate is because God doesn't hate the people that work there. He loves them and he wants you to be his ambassador to point others to him. Maybe the reason that you got that really, really annoying neighbor is because you would be the one to stay and you would be the one to love on and to open your mouth and to invite in and to share and to hopefully see the gospel flourish in that man or that woman's heart. Maybe the reason God is even doing things in your life that seem so weird or so chaotic is so that others may know him. God longs for people to know him. God, God longs for people to worship him, to, to see him as who he truly is. And so if this text is true, that God has you living in Austin, Texas in 2016 and ordained this before the foundation of the world, that you would be here, it is probably for your, not probably, the text says, it is for your glory, but it very possibly may be for others around you too that they may feel and see their way toward God, that you may be a representation of Christ to them. And if we believe this, I think if we were purposeful in this, our proclamation and our posture would be very different to those around us. When Natalie and I were uh, just about to start uh, the church plant, so uh, this is back in, I guess, 2011, 
uh, December 2011, um, we were looking for a house, and we had been looking since like uh, September, all right? We were looking, 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 and kept looking, kept looking, couldn't find anything. We were moving into East Austin. For those of you who are moving into East Austin, you know it's dang expensive, and as a pastor, as a church plant, that means we had no money, okay? There was no money coming in. There was nothing to do. So we were trying to find a way that we can move into here to begin to try to start a church and hopefully let the gospel flourish. We wanted to be in this part of the city, but we could not find a place. And so what we did was we just kind of prayed and we kind of felt like the Lord was leading us to uh, sublease our house up north. I worked at a church up north before, kind of in Cedar Park area, lived on 183 in McNeil, and I felt like the Lord was leading us to sublet the house and to move into East Austin. So... We found subletters, and they were going to move in on January 5th, all right? Well, on December 22nd, we were going to drive up to Michigan and spend about a week with my family. And on December 20th, we still didn't have a house. We were going to come back January 2nd. What that means is we had three days between January 2nd and January 5th to find a house, or we would not be living anywhere, all right? Now, we had friends. They probably would have invited us in and couch surf, but it's just weird, like, to couch surf when you're a married couple, you know? It just feels weird, all right? And so we were trying to figure out what do we do, you know? So right before we were about to leave, December 20th, I'm driving around East Austin just praying. I'm like, God, you need to open up something. Why are you taking so long, right? <laughs> Right? Like, what are you doing? And I find this house on Waller, okay? Drive past it, it says for rent by owner. Call the owner right away. And he's like, well, we had a couple people. And I said, can I look at it today? Like, I'm actually in front of the house. He's like, ah, uh, I actually live down south, but how about tomorrow? And I was like, or he said, no, how about in two days? I was like, well, we're leaving out of town. He said, okay, I'll make it work tomorrow. So tomorrow comes, right, December 21st, and he shows up there, and he shows us the house, and it's not really the greatest house, but it definitely works for what we need, okay? Natalie didn't even see the house. Like, she just said, hey, I don't care. Like, if this, as long as there aren't, like, rats crawling around, then, like, we're good, all right? And so we saw it. She never saw it till the day we moved in. Anyway, uh, we, we signed that lease, all right? We're driving. I'm driving to Michigan. While she's driving, I'm, like, signing the stuff. And then when I get to Michigan, I, like, fax it back to him so that we can have a place to live when we come back, all right? We move in, things are cool, you know, kind of going normal. And then uh, Natalie, being the awesome, loving, great woman that she is, decided, hey, let's make cookies for our new neighbors. And I was like, that's a great idea, you know. So we bring cookies to one neighbor, and they're like, wow, thank you very much, you know. And we go knock on the next uh, 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 house, and there was five guys in there eating spaghetti, drinking beer, and you could tell they were all frat guys, right. And I'm like, would y'all like some cookies? <laughs> and so talk about like embarrassing, okay? I'm like, oh Lord, right? So they're like, come on in. I'm like, oh gosh. So I'm coming in and now they're trying to be as nice as she can, but they're just dudes, right? They have like a dude movie on and they're talking dude language. And so I'm like, here's the cookies. And so then at some point uh, they were like, well, are y'all watching the, the game next week? And the Patriots and the Broncos were playing back when Tim Tebow played for, played for the Broncos. And this guy, my friend Mike now is a really, really big Broncos fan. Fan, and I'm a big uh, Patriot. Well, I'm a big Tom Brady fan, all right, because he went to the best school in the nation. Go blue. All right. So we're like, yeah, let's go. Let's go. Like, let's watch it together. And we leave that house. And I think there's no way in God's green earth that he's ever going to reach out to me again, right? Like I'm this dude that's bringing him cookies, okay? But sure enough, he came to my house two days later and said, hey, we're going to be uh, the black sheep and we're going to go watch it there. You want to come? 
yeah, that'd be awesome. So we went, and uh, in case you recall, the Patriots obliterated the Broncos. They won by like 35. That's right, like that, all right? And so it was just, it was, it was awkward for him, okay, because I'm like, yeah, uh, gospel, gospel, gospel. Remember the gospel, <laughs> all right? And I'm trying to remember this, okay? And anyway, we kind of started forming a relationship. So he friended me on Facebook. And then two days later, he said, hey, man, can you come outside and throw the football? I said, yeah, sure. So we go outside, and we're starting to throw the football around. And he said, hey, man, I saw that you were a pastor. And I was like, yeah, like I am, you know. He said, what, what's that about? And I was like, I actually don't know how to answer that. What do you mean, <laughs> you know? And so we're kind of throwing the football around. We're trying to, you know, get, get this weird thing. And he said, man, about, uh, about three or four weeks ago, I started praying, God, would you please put somebody in my life that loves Jesus? I said, man, crazy. Why did you pray that? He said, man, I, I don't know where I am with the Lord. I, I don't know what's going on, but I need somebody to discipleship me. That's what he said. Didn't even use the word correctly, all right? He used the word incorrectly, so I knew. He was being honest, all right? And I said, yeah, yeah, for sure. You want to do discipleship, or you want to be disciple? And he was like, yeah, yeah, And he was like, man, can we do that? And I said, yes. And that started a four-year journey of me trying to love on Mike. And some weeks, to be honest, I think he's there, and he gets it, and he's wanting to love Jesus. And some weeks, I'm like, there ain't no way in the world, all right? But we're still wrestling, we're still friends, we're still fighting, all because Natalie had it in her to make some cookies and go be a good neighbor, like cookies to a group of five guys, right? That was the best relationship I had in that. And we had other relationships with other neighbors, but me and Mike have been really, really grinding out ever since. Man, what if God has you living where you live or working where you work because he wants that to happen? He wants you to be there for somebody, to bring some cookies or to give some sugar or to something else that's more manly if you're a man and messing with men, all right? Throw the football around, like whatever it may be, like what if God has you there that you may reach out to them, that they may know Jesus? What if Acts 17 is true, not just for our salvation, but for the salvation of others? This month with a group of guys, I'm reading through 1 Peter, and I was struck when I was reading this. I was really encouraged by this. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 6, it says this. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe... The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So we see we're talking about salvation here, right? Like accepting Jesus or rejecting Jesus. It says if you accept him as to your honor, if you reject him as to your shame, you're gonna stumble over the very grace that's been offered to you. So we're talking about believing in Jesus here, okay? Then verse nine. But you, those of you who have accepted, are a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that they may speak or so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So verse nine, why are we saved? 
Okay, why has God called us a, a holy race, a, 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 a chosen nation, a royal priesthood? Why is it that God has called us out? That we may proclaim his excellencies. That's what that verse is, right? God has called you into his kingdom that you may proclaim his kingdom, that you may tell of others about how glorious and how good God is. God has saved you to proclaim who he is. All right, now Peter goes on to say that we should uh, abstain from sin or kill sin is what he says. Hey, abstain from this sin. And one of the reasons is that that's our response to salvation, to, to kill, to slaughter the old man, right? Slaughter is a violent word, I know, but, but it wages war against your soul, Scripture says. Like sin is waging war against you, trying to drag you down. Man, murder that sin, Right? We're saved to show mercy, now murder your sin. Okay, but then at the end of verse 12, again, he says it again, that others may see you and that they may glorify God in heaven. They may see your conduct, they may see how you are living, and that they may see the beauty and the glory of God. Now notice in verse 9, there's the word proclaim there, that you may proclaim the word proclaim is used 72 times in scripture and it always has to do with the talking or with the opening of the mouth every single time, okay? So it's not just living right, but it's talking right about Jesus. Like it's not just living it out before them, but it's proclaiming with your mouth. In fact, out of all the 72 times it's used, 69 times are in direct correlation to the gospel. Like it talks about proclaiming the good news, proclaiming the grace of God, proclaiming the things that Jesus has done. 72 times the scripture is saying, proclaim the gospel, preach the gospel, teach the gospel, talk about the glory of Jesus, because this is how men are saved. But also in this verse though, we see it's our lifestyle too, right? We see, hey, now kill sin that your lifestyle may show that as well, that they may see it, that they may talk about God, and that you may proclaim God that they would be saved. And so we talk about Jesus, and we live and act like Jesus, that other people may see the glories of God, that they too may be attracted to the beauty of who Christ is. This is what Peter is telling us. We teach the gospel, we preach the gospel, but we live, live out the gospel, because we want others to see and know him. Now, I said earlier, okay, that we cannot be motivated, though, out of guilt or fear. And then we just went through a bunch of texts that said, look, we need to preach. We need to preach the gospel, okay? We have to be motivated in all this out of our love for Christ. This needs to be our driving motivation, okay? Last piece of scripture we're going to look at today. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we read this um, during our scripture reading time before, before the sermon. Pick it up there in verse 14. For the love of Christ, what's that word? Controls us, right? The NIV says compels us. Other translation says uh, motivates us. The love of Christ, it controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who might live or who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So it is out of a love for Christ, us loving him, him loving us, that we are compelled to help others know about him and about who he is. We are controlled, we are compelled because of a love for Christ. When we see a clearer and clearer picture of who Jesus is, or when we see a clear and clear picture of the gospel, it compels us to share more and more. 
Like as we fall more in love with Jesus, we can't help but tell others about him. Like that's why my wife or my daughter probably get mentioned so much as illustrations. Like I just want to talk about them, right? Like they're awesome. You ever met the person who is kind of like infatuated with their new crush and that's all they do is talk about them? You know what I mean? Are y'all tracking with that? Like you're in a conversation and you're just like talking about the Super Bowl and they're like, yeah, you know, uh, Mike went to the Super Bowl six years ago and, uh, and, and Mike bought these tickets for 300 bucks. You're like, oh, that's really awesome. And then you go on talking about chips and it's like, Mike makes his really own good chips. And then you're talking, and it's like, no matter, they're like trying to talk about this person, right? It's controlling them, it's compelling them. They can't help it, right? As we see Jesus more and more, as we see how beautiful he truly is, it compels and controls us. We can't help it. <laughs> Like as we fall more in love with Jesus and who he is, we are controlled by him. The gospel motivates our hearts to share. The gospel is what motivates our heart to share. Not guilt or fear, okay, you tracking with that? But the gospel, the grace of the Lord Jesus and what he has done for you and I, that's what motivates our hearts. And I want you to think about this, friends. Like, like what is a mo- better motivator for the gospel than looking at Christ when we think about neighboring? Like, think about the gospel in light of the context we've been talking about. Neighboring, being a good neighbor to your literal neighbors, right? Your, or maybe to your coworkers, those who, who cubicle around you, right? Like, what is a better example than the gospel? Jesus from eternity past had a perfect home, right? Like, my man's walked on gold. He has a good life, right? He has comfort. He has all the angels around him singing his glory. Jesus had a perfect home. He was living in heaven where you and I want to be when we die. Like even if we don't believe in Jesus, we say, I don't want to suffer. I want to be in bliss. And so I want heaven, okay? Jesus had bliss. Jesus had beauty. Jesus had perfection. Jesus had everything that you and I hope for. Yet because of his love for us and his great compassion for us, when we were laying almost dead, on the road. He didn't pass by us, but he came down and he took care of us and he cleaned up our wounds and he paid for us to stay at the inn. Jesus is the true Samaritan. Jesus is the true living example of that. Jesus left his home in heaven and came down to the filth of earth so that we who are living on the filth of earth can one day go back with him to heaven. The gospel is exactly what Jesus portrayed in being a good neighbor. The scripture says that Jesus came and dwelt among us. So that word is tabernacled among us. He made up his home with us. He left his home in heaven and made his home here that you and I may know who he is. Jesus portrayed the gospel in neighboring and shared his life and shared the teachings and shared the glory of how we can know him with us that we may finally leave this earth and go to where our true heart's desire go to heaven. So understanding this, seeing his sacrifice makes us not be motivated out of guilt, but rather out of love. Like we should now be eager to serve in the same way that Jesus served because we feel how much he served us. If we remember what he did, it should motivate us to actually go and to love others. When we remember the gospel and we fall in love with Jesus through the gospel, it just compels us to share more. Let's finish this text. And finish the sermon today. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and, look, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you. That's a strong word. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We now have the ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for God's sake. We now reflect Christ to the world around us. We, like Paul is saying here, out of a love for Christ, need to implore others to be reconciled to God. Paul's saying, I'm imploring you, please come to Jesus. He, he wants you to know him. He, he knows you. He wants there to be love, to be intimacy. And we're saying that same thing. Scripture says, no, we want to implore others, be reconciled to God. God wants to be in a relationship with you that all of life's meaning and purpose that we're searching for can't be found in the perfect job or or the perfect spouse. It can be found in the perfect Christ, though. We have that before us, that all of the freedom from the guilt and the shame and the sin that clings on to us, that can be pushed off onto Christ on the cross. He paid for us. He became sin, who knew no sin, so that we who are in sin cannot become the righteousness of God. True beauty is found in the gospel. We can be saved, and we have to, like Jesus, step out of our comforts at time that others may hear and see this truth too. We have to proclaim the good news, not just with our actions, but with our mouths too, that people may see and hear the glory of God and be saved. And so my question for you that I want to wrestle with, I want you to wrestle with, is what's preventing us from being good neighbors? Like, what's preventing you from being a good neighbor? I'm talking about at your job, at your home, okay, where you live. Like, is it that you're only going to be there for a couple more months? That's not enough time to build a relationship with someone, to love on them, right? Is, is, it, is it a fear of rejection or, or looking silly? I mean, I know for me, that's my fear usually. I just don't want to be rejected. I hate rejection. I hate looking silly. But they ain't rejecting me. They're rejecting the message of the gospel. And I should love them all that much more, knowing the beauty that God is. Remember, Jesus was rejected and looked silly for you so that one day you would not be rejected by the Father. Jesus hung up on the cross naked, shamed, bruised, beaten, battered, insults thrown at him so that we can be saved. He now gives us that same courage and strength to go out before others if we are participating with the Holy Spirit. Is it time? Too busy, life is too busy, too many things moving on. Man, Jesus so frequently sacrificed his time that others may hear a little bit more, right? And I'm not saying be reckless. Take care of yourself. That's a beautiful thing. You gotta love yourself a lot of times before you can even love somebody else. But there is some sacrifice that maybe have to be involved. What's preventing us from doing it, right? If we allow guilt to drive us into this, we're not gonna do it though. We have to be driven by the gospel. Remember, guilt is a poison, I don't want you to walk away today feeling guilty. Like, oh, I don't even know my neighbors. I need to share more. I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to, I need to inherit eternal life. Don't be like the lawyer. True life is found by believing in Jesus Christ who loves you and who gave himself up for you. But as we look at that, as we see the gospel, how can we be motivated out of that to share with others that we would give our lives for their sake Listen, friends, this isn't just a matter, okay, of like happiness and sadness. Like if somebody believes in Jesus, they're happy. If they don't, they're sad. 
This isn't just the, uh, the difference between like a good marriage and a bad marriage. Like, oh, if you believe in Jesus, your marriage will be better, right? Like, that, this isn't what the difference is. This is the difference between eternal life and eternal death, between heaven and hell. Like, this is serious. That's why Jesus so freely gave up himself knowing the cost of it. What is preventing us? What excuse do we use? How do we try, like the lawyer, to justify ourselves? And I would ask you in boldness to lay that before the cross. And if you feel guilt, lay that before the cross too, because Jesus already died for that. He was sentenced as guilty so that you wouldn't have to feel guilt anymore. But let the gospel motivate you to share. All right? I love you guys. Let's pray. God, I thank you for loving me. God, when I was hostile towards you, when I rejected you, God, you loved me. You gave yourself for me. You called me to yourself. God, I pray we would remember if we have believed in you, if we are Christians in here, so I pray we would remember the gift and the sacrifice that you gave to us that we would be in awe at that, Jesus, that that would uh, inspire, motivate, encourage, push us to share that truth with others, God, that others may see and taste the beauty of who you are. God, I pray for people in here who are wrestling in their relationship with you today, God, they maybe don't believe in you very actively, maybe they're trying to figure it out. God, I pray you would remind them that you love them so desperately that you would die on the cross that they would know you. You gave yourself freely, God. And God, I pray that same truth that we believe, Jesus, would motivate us to share more. I love you, God. I thank you for all that you do for us. Praise in your precious name. Amen. Um, some ushers are going to come forward and collect this morning's tithes and offerings. Um,